welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Hey, welcome to Church at The Well. I want to give you a question to reflect on today as we start our teaching time, or if you're with other people, you can discuss. What qualities do you most want to see in, say, a parent or a boss or a teacher, a president, a CEO, a leader, uh, a pastor, like basically anyone who leads you or has any kind of authority over you? What qualities do you most want to see in them? Take a couple of minutes to think about that um, and uh, discuss it if you're with other people. No criticizing each other's ideas, okay? (laughs) Well, if you're anything like me, uh, or if you've read, uh, if you look at some of the studies that have been done in the workplace about what people want from their bosses or presidents, you probably came up with things like, well, someone who listens to me, um, someone who's kind someone who um, actually acts in the best interests of me or the people they're leading and not in their own interests, Um, someone who's understanding of the people they lead and watch over, someone who isn't heavy-handed and harsh. Now, we kind of just think, well, yeah, that's common sense, right? Like leadership 101, parenting 101, isn't that how it should be. And I'll be honest, uh, if we if I want to confess here, and I don't think I'm the only one, we kind of think that we would do a better job than the people leading us. <laughs> and the reason I say that is because you ever caught yourself saying, what were they thinking? What are they thinking? Um, that's kind of like saying, hey, you're not thinking, if I was you, I wouldn't do that, right? In other words, it's not a really good, I'm not actually trying to know what they're thinking. I'm like, that was just dumb. Um, why, can, why is it so hard to ask me a question to know what I think? Why is it so hard to get opinions from other people? Um, why is it so hard just to be kind? Can't you just be a little bit nicer when you say that or when you do that? Or a little more more human? Uh, oh, must be nice to be in their shoes, right? If we, we've all caught ourselves probably saying those things. We all assume we would do a better job with power, with leadership than the people who are leading us. It's human nature, I guess. But it's more than just, um, you know, water cooler conversation back when they used to use water coolers or when you used to go to an office. Uh, It's more than just, you know, complaining about your teacher or your parent to each other. Uh, Many of us can honestly say, hey, we've been hurt by bad leadership. Um, We've been hurt by leaders who didn't listen to us. We've we've been um, on the wrong end of decisions that were made in the interests of the leader and not in our interests or the people they were leading. We've been hurt by the harshness the lack of understanding that other people have showed us, either directly or indirectly, by leaders, by bosses, by parents, by teachers, by pastors. And so this is a real thing for many of us. It's actually prompted our culture in many ways to distrust um, all kinds of leadership and power. In fact, to distrust power in itself and think, you know what? It's better if, if power is taken away. That It's better if nobody has power. Um, because it doesn't seem like anyone knows how to handle it well. Now, whether or not you agree with that as a solution, we can actually, if we're honest, say, yeah, like that, it just seems like whether it's, um, you know, the next military coup that happens in a second or third world country that promises they're going to be better than the leadership they're overthrowing, and in a year or a few months, they're just like the people they, they took out. Um, or whether that's uh, people running for political office or people who get promoted or even in our own lives, we can see, yeah, it doesn't seem like people know how to handle power well. And yet there's something in us that is constantly trying to make sure that we are climbing whatever ladder is available to us, whether it's a religious one or a social one or a corporate one, a career one, because we don't want to be on the bottom. We don't want to be low. We don't want to be the ones who are on the wrong end of decisions, who are powerless, who are weak, who can't change what's going on. We want to get away from that. We actually want to get more power because we're afraid of what power will be used um, against us or not in our favor. Not just that, 
Um, we live in a world that is um, dominated, in a sense, by social media. And isn't it interesting how social media describes success in terms of followers, right? People who are actually following you. And whether or not you would say, oh, I'm a leader or whatever, what we say, if you are successful, or and I know you follow people, but really what you don't actually track and care too much about how many people you're following, you're interested in who's following you, right? That's the world we live in, a social media world defined by um, recognition, uh, acknowledgement, followers, likes, what? Basically so that People pay attention to our voice, to our influence, to what we are saying, to what we are posting, to what we are thinking. That's the social media world we're living in. So not only are we all, all instinctively trying to get a little more power and we don't want to have less because whether we're afraid or we just want more, we not only live in a world governed by social media that says recognition, attention, followers is what defines success, the, uh, apparently, our brains are even working against us. There was a study done in Wilfrid Laurier University a few years ago, corroborated actually by other evidence that, um, that other psychology departments in California were doing as well. And what they noticed was there's this part of the brain that's called the mirror system. And the mirror system is actually what allows us to have empathy or understanding for other people that we're talking with, that we're leading, that we're married to, that we're interacted with, that we're interacting with. The mirror system allows us to play back their world into ours so we can actually empathize or understand their world better. And so it's, it's, the mirror system is a really key component that your brain has, and it can be developed um, to, towards empathy and understanding and compassion. And here's the stunning results they found. The more power you have, the more your mirror system gets affected negatively. The more power you have, or the more powerful you self-perceive to be or position that you have, the mirror system is impacted essentially to say, the more power you have, the less able you are to empathize with and understand other people. Isn't that crazy? That our brains, neuroscience is actually working against us as well. Although we want to get more power because we don't want to be on the wrong end of it, uh, or we just think that's what it means to climb the ladder, whether it's in religion or social life or corporate life or um, school or in my friendship circles or whatever. I want more of that. We live in a social media world that's kind of propelling that, even though we don't use the word power. And yet the more we get it, the more it messes us up. The more we get it actually affecting our brain, it's more we're more likely to abuse it, or misuse it. <laughs> so we can't get away from this thing, but we are in real trouble with it. You say you want a revolution. Oh yeah, no, we all want to change the world, right? We are in a series called Revolutionary, looking at the life and teaching of Jesus. And man, when it comes to the issues of power, do we need a revolution? Do we need the world to change? Not just out there, but in here. And so if Jesus' revolution is, is good news to us, which it is, it must address this issue of power, and he does. It's interesting. The world that Jesus came into was a world dominated, marked by power. Um, and Jesus was considered, in a sense, someone who didn't have a lot of it, but as he was growing in his influence and starting to teach and get known, what happens when you get more popular, when you get more followers, when you get um, noticed more? The people with power start to pay more attention. They're like, hey, who's this young upstart? Hey, who's this someone that people are following? And so he was drawing the attention of many powerful people, both in his Jewish circles, but also in the Greco-Roman world. And Jesus... Um, continually actually is having interactions with people of power and certainly in his, in his Jewish circles. And they were, there was a, a mounting uh, opposition to him. The passage we're going to look at today is actually one of Jesus' most profound uh, conversations and revolutionary conversations about power. And I think you will find it both comforting and disturbing. It's comforting for us because we're going to hear Jesus say things that we wish we could say to power. And Jesus did speak to power. And we, we're going to say, yeah, Jesus, stick it to them. It's comforting because we realize, oh, we're not alone in feeling what he, you're going to hear him express. But it's also potentially disturbing to us for any of us that have power, that are a leader, or want to have power and want to be a leader. And as we will find, it's actually disturbing for everyone, both then and now. And so I want you to listen as this conversation from the Gospel of Matthew is read for us. 
Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is a revolutionary conversation about power. And it actually opens up a section of scripture in Matthew 23, which probably the best way to see this as a total rant or a diss track that Jesus is writing against the religious leaders and the teachers of the law. And just so we understand context of who he's talking to, he's talking about, and then he talks directly to, it says the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and just for a quick context, these were not just people who were religious leaders. They were also um, really political and social leaders. They were people whose teaching and lives, in a sense, governed all of Jewish life for a first century Jew. Um, because their religious teachings and law covered not just the stuff that uh, uh, talked about how you related to God or where you worshipped or when, but what you ate and how you treated other people and what life was like in the home and what was like life like in the marketplace, in the domicile, in the, in the um, area where you lived, in your general uh, family, village. It covered all of life. And so Jesus is addressing leadership in general as he's talking to these leaders. And what you'll notice in Matthew's gospel is um, as Jesus is teaching and beginning to exert his authority and his leadership, in a sense, is starting to be recognized, these religious leaders become his main opponents. And at this point in Matthew's gospel, Jesus finally just lets them have it. He's had some conversations with them, but he goes off on them. And he first starts with a conversation about them to his disciples and the crowds that were listening. And eventually later on, which we're not going to get into today, he starts to actually talk to them directly. But Jesus brings up um, the, these leaders pointing to them to try to explain to his disciples how they should think about leadership and power. And essentially what he says to them in the opening parts of it, he says, um, you know, the, the religious leaders uh, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law um, do what they say, don't do what they do, which was not actually a way of him saying, yeah, you should follow them. It was essentially saying, and he says this, they don't practice what they preach, um, <laughs> which is, we use that phraseology now to mean like they're hypocrites. Like, in fact, don't follow them because their lives don't match their teaching. They have a lot of words and they tell you what you should do, but they don't do it. And so he's basically saying, these are not leaders worth following. These are people who have mishandled, misused and abused their power. And so don't follow them. So it's a total discreditation of their leadership. And he zeroes in on two things in particular that for Jesus feel like invalidate them, discredit them, show them as failed leaders. And the first thing he says is this. He says, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they don't do anything to lift them themselves. They tie up loads on people's shoulders, but they do nothing to lift them themselves. What is this about? It's, 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 a, it's a way of saying they lead in a way that actually burdens people rather than helps them. Their leadership crushes people. The way that they teach, the way that they handle their power actually places a load and a burden on people and pushes them down. And then even worse, he says, they do nothing to lift them up. They don't do anything to, he says, they won't even lift a finger. In other words, like they do, they make no effort to lighten the load. All they do is press it down. 
And he said, that's the first problem with the way they lead. That's the kind of people they are. They oppress the people under them. They crush them with their teaching, with their life, with their way of leading them, with what they expect from them, and they do nothing to help them. He says, therefore, don't follow them. They're failed leaders. And then secondly, he says this, um, everything is done for people to see. They love the place of honor. <laughs> he said, not only do they crush people, and do nothing to help them, their leadership is all about them and not about you. The people they lead and they, they have power over exist for their pleasure, for their need. He said, all they're interested in is gaining honor from the people. They want um, privilege and um, perks of the job from the people. That's the only way they see the people they lead as people who exist for their gain. They see the low ones as there to make them higher. He said, that's the second problem with their leadership. Everything is done for people to see. They love the place of honor. They're all about them and not about you. And these are the two main things that Jesus zeroes in on and says, this is what's wrong with their leadership. This is the way they have used or really misused and abused their power. Now, in a lot of ways, we can look at this and go, yeah, that's, yeah, that's terrible leadership. I mean, that's obvious. That's not how leaders should be. Leaders should actually be helping the people they lead. Leaders, leaders should actually be lifting people up. Leaders shouldn't be about themselves, about pride, and about using other people. That's common sense. That's, that's right, Jesus. Why is he telling this? Why couldn't they see it? Well, because it wasn't common sense for them. And we'll find out even why later, why it is even common sense for us. But for them... This is actually the way they understood leadership was supposed to work. The whole reason you wanted to get leadership, you wanted to get power is so that you could get honor, you could get praise, you could get, quote, the perks of the job. Like it talks about how they get all the best seats at the banquets and, you know, that kind of thing. Those are the perks of the job. That's why everybody wants the corner office. That's why everybody wants to lead. This was their whole frame of view. It's like, wait, that, and remember we talked about last week how wealth, which was often connected with power, was like a sign of God's blessing. So this was like, if you were in a position of power, it meant God had put you there. God had blessed you to be there. This was a gift so that you could receive all of the blessings of leadership, which looked like the best seats and the, on, and the honor and the, and the way that people would look, to, look up to you and call you rabbi and confer honor on you by how they would talk about you. And that would actually bring honor to your family, which was a good thing to do. So of course you wanted this. And of course, this is why people didn't want to be low. They wanted to be high. They wanted to get out from where they were at the bottom and climb to get up to this place so that they could get this. So the fact that Jesus was pointing this out as wrong would not necessarily have occurred to them. More than that, they lived in a Greco-Roman culture. When we say Greco-Roman, we mean it was the Greek culture when the, when the Greek empire under Alexander the Great um, you know, conquered that part of the world. Also Greek philosophy that came with it. A philosophy is like, this is how you should live. And Greek philosophy is still shaping our world today, 2,000 years later. So the Greek culture had so uh, affected this part of the Mediterranean. And, but the Romans were now the new empire. And in, Gre in the Greco-Roman empire, certainly in the Roman empire at this time, you got where you were by pressing other people down. I mean, first of all, you conquered other people. But then there's even stories about emperors who, who killed people in their own family to keep the throne because that's how you did. That's how you defended your power and your honor by being more powerful than the people above you. You pressed them down. You kept them down. You kept them low. That was even how Rome worked. They kept the people they uh, occupied and ruled over poor and weak so that they could stay strong. This was just how leadership worked. And so this was the air that the disciples were breathing and all of the people. And this is why you didn't want to be at the bottom. You were on the wrong end of this all the time. You wanted to climb that ladder of power. And Jesus says, hey, I don't want you to lead like this. He says to them, this is how leadership works in the world. I know. But look what he says, but not so with you. Not so with you. Which to me, they would have been, wait, us, we're not leaders. <laughs> Why are you talking to us about this, right? The disciples would have been in this place. And we know at this point, he's kind of turning to his inner circle. They didn't have any power. Most of them were from kind of, they were certainly from not um, powerful areas of that place. Like certain towns, certain geographies had more honor than others. These guys came from Nazareth, Galilee. Some of them were fishermen. Like they weren't considered people of honor or power. And so it would have been strange for Jesus to say, yeah, you're not supposed to lead like that. They're like, we're not leading anything. But Jesus' point was, hey, this, is, this matters for everyone. 
whether you think you have power or not, whether you will one day or not, this dynamic of power affects all of our relationships. And that's not just true for them, it's true for us now. It affects all of the ways that we handle our relationships with our friends, with our marriage partners, with our kids, in our home, with our parents, with the people we work with. In all aspects of life, Jesus says, this is affecting. And, and you, have, you never know what kind of influence you might have or will have or do have or what kind of leader you will be. And so he says to the disciples, I know this is how leadership works, but not with you. Not with us. Not with Jesus' followers. I want you to do something different. And this is where he says some of the most revolutionary things about power and leadership to them. He says, I don't want you to lead like that. Why? He says, because whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever makes himself high, whoever makes a lot of himself, whoever tries to go up and gain more power, he says, will be humbled. And that word humbled was not a good word. It wasn't like the disciples said, oh, that sounds good. No. Humbled, if you were humble, it meant that you were weak. It meant that you were poor. It meant that you were dishonored. It meant that you were insignificant. If, and if you were humbled, you could either be humbled by God or by your circumstances or by other people. It meant that you were made weak, that you were made powerless, that you were made insignificant, that you were crushed by something or likely someone else. To be humbled was not good. We actually even have a phrase in our, uh, in our vernacular now when it's, you say someone has to eat humble pie. No one asks for two helpings of humble pie, right? Eating humble pie means you got humiliated, you got humbled, you got crushed, you know? You got clapped, they say, right? Like you got owned, you don't want to be humbled. And Jesus says anyone who tries to climb up will be humbled. Now, I actually had an incident uh, earlier last year before the pandemic where I actually had to eat humble pie, where I was humbled, literally. And so this may be hard for some of you to watch, but have a look. This is, you, can I just, you don't do need it. to slam it, okay? I'm right here. Okay, so, <laughs> hey guys, you know, hold it from the side. Make sure it doesn't one, hit. One at a time. One at a time. Why is he? He doesn't get to do this. <laughs> yeah, no, he doesn't get to do this. Anyone can do it to disrespect their father. Ready? Three, two, Just another Sunday at the well, you know, you miss those days. Uh, yeah, that was me getting humbled at our 30-minute market. If you want more details about how that happened, I can tell you all about it. I have recovered emotionally from that. Right, But that's a picture of what Jesus says. Like when you are being, if, if you're climbing, you're trying to get more power, you're trying to get high, you will be brought low. You will be brought down. You will be humbled. Anyone who tries to get, they're, they're only heading down and it's not going to be pretty. But then he says the most revolutionary part of this. He says, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. <laughs> Why was this such a revolutionary thing to say to his disciples? Because no one would choose to be humbled. It happened, but it always happened when somebody humbled you. When circumstances or life or the weather or a turn of events or probably somebody else with more power humbled you, crushed you, humiliated you, made you weak, made you poor, made you insignificant. It happened but nobody would choose it. And Jesus says, no, this is how I want you to think about power and leadership, to think about your leadership, to think about whatever power you have. Choose to be humbled. To choose it. To actually make the choice to get low, to get down with those who are also humbled, who are weak, 
who are poor, who are insignificant, who are being crushed, and to come alongside them and, in a sense, get underneath them. Remember he said the, the religious leaders, they crushed people and they knew nothing to lift the load. Jesus says, no, don't crush people. Go down and be with the crushed, with the lowly, with the weak, and get underneath what's crushing them to lift them up. He says that is the direction of power, the direction of leadership. You choose to humble yourself. You choose to go low and you will be made high. He said, that's what it means to have power. That's what it means to be exalted is to get low, is to get underneath the burdens with the crushed, with the oppressed, with the weak and lift them up. It's interesting, right? Jesus didn't say, hey, just be content with what you have and eventually God will give you more. He said, no, choose to get low. Choose to go. Choose to take what you have and make yourself weak and poor and insignificant along with others and use it in the service of others. <laughs> this wasn't the only place Jesus actually said that. He had been regularly starting to teach his disciples to think this way. Why? Because he was preparing them to lead. But they didn't get it. In fact, we see different accounts, and if you've been doing the daily reading through Matthew, you'll notice a couple of times where they're asking him questions because they're kind of jockeying for position. They're trying to figure out, hey, who's going to be the greatest? Hey, we see some honor and power coming Jesus' way, and because we're his disciples, we're going to get some of that honor too. That's why you wanted to be around powerful people, so you could get some of that, you know, and you could, you could share some of that power. That's how it worked. You know, they, they were his entourage, right? And they were Sometimes, you know, they tried to keep it to themselves because they kind of seemed he didn't really want to talk about that. But every so often they bring it up. At one point, James and John asked their mom to ask him, which I don't know, this doesn't seem like a real power play to me. Hey, mom, mommy, can you go ask Jesus for this? But apparently they thought it was a good plan. And Jesus says, no, that's not how I want you to think. But they didn't get it. They kept thinking in their old and their cultural ways of what is, the, what is most powerful, what is to be gained, what you actually want to get. You want to get more power. And Jesus says, no, I want you to think about it differently but they didn't get it. <laughs> they did later. But what changed them, what transformed, what, as we, the language we've been using, turned their world and their view of power and leadership upside down was not the teaching of Jesus. It was something else. And I want you to listen as John Dixon, who's a historian and an author, pinpoints the, the exact moment where not only the disciples, but the rest of the world started to realize what Jesus was saying and why this was such a revolution of power and leadership. Well, Jesus comes into an environment where you've got the greatest empire the world had ever known, an empire that eclipsed the Greek empire. And no one thought anything could eclipse the Greek empire, Alexander the Great and so on. But the, the Roman um, uh, infrastructure um, brought such an amazing hold on the Mediterranean and beyond. So everyone knew who was in charge. And Jesus is born into this very um, powerful context. But he's part of a very different tradition. He doesn't come from the Greek and Roman tradition. He comes from the Jewish tradition, which had begun already in the later prophets of the Old Testament, begun to say really bizarre things like God likes the poor uh, and, and even God likes the humble. But in those texts, the humble are really the humbled, those who have been crushed by oppressors. But you've got this beginning motif of the God of the universe actually having quite a soft spot for those who are down low, who have been crushed low. So, so, so Jesus comes into this enormous empire from his own Jewish tradition, knowing that God loves the humbled. But the, the curious thing that Jesus adds to that Jewish tradition is the decision to be humble. Not simply to be humbled by outside forces, but a decision to lower yourself uh, for the sake of another. And he said very humble oriented things like, you know, whoever wants to be um, first among you must be your slave. Um, he, he said, even I did not come to be served, but to serve. And so he said things that turned upside down what you'd normally expect of leadership. But the historical moment that changed everything was not so much his teaching, but his crucifixion. Because in the crucifixion, power is given up in such a, an extraordinary way 
um, the cross was viewed, crucifixion generally was viewed as the ultimate punishment in the Roman Empire, the lowest point in the world, you could say. And yet the Christians believe Jesus chose to go there, not that he was humbled, not that he was crushed, but that he'd willingly given himself. And so they had, they had a choice. Does this mean Jesus wasn't as great as we thought? Because there he is on a cross. Or does it mean we have to change what we think about greatness? It really does seem that the turning point, and when I say this, I just mean it historically, not theologically. The turning point in history, in terms of this motif of the humble leader, is the crucifixion of Jesus. Where the Christians spotted that to be truly great means to lower yourself for the sake of another. It isn't to deny your own status. Jesus, of course, knew he had quite a heavy, large status, but he chose to orient it toward the good of others. And we can date this pretty precisely because um, you suddenly get in the middle of the first century, shortly after Jesus' crucifixion, you, sh you get texts that use the word humility which had meant to be crushed or to be humbled by another. You start to see it used as a virtue, a positive virtue, to humble yourself for the sake of another, just as Jesus did. Did you catch what he said? This is so profound. Friends, the reason you and I think that a good leader is a humble leader, a good leader is someone who serves the people um, they lead and not doesn't demand to be served. A good leader is someone who uses their power to help others. A good leader is someone who understands the people that they lead and comes alongside them. The reason you and I think that is not because we're so smart or so educated and those dumb people 2,000 years ago didn't get it. The reason we think that is because at 33 AD, the man who had more power and authority than anyone the world had ever known chose to give it up on a cross. And as Dixon points out, literally history began to redefine the word leader. It began to take the word humility, which used to be something terrible and, and uh, insignificant and dishonorable and weak, and it became a virtue overnight at the death of Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's incredible that Jesus redefined power and leadership in terms of humility and it changed the world. It revolutionized the way and now we just assume that that's what a good leader is and that's what they do. But it wasn't just teaching that we needed to change our minds. The death of Jesus Christ on the cross wasn't just a, a stunning example of what true power and leadership looks like, what it means to hold and use your power in the service of others, what it means to get down with those who are low, to make yourself, to choose to be that way and to lift them up. It wasn't just a stunning example that acted out his teaching. The scriptures tell us that the cross of Christ did something else. It not only gave us an example of what power looks like, it broke the power of sin in our lives. See, the scriptures tell us that what is affecting our views of power is sin. Sin is not just doing bad things, right? But in the biblical context, sin is actually this infection that comes inside everything that is good and corrupts it and twists it. Sin is the reason that we want power, but then are not able to use it well. Sin is the reason we criticize those who have power over us. Sin is the reason that we constantly, even though we know um, other people misuse it, sin's the reason we think, we deceive ourselves to think, well, I won't, and I need it, and I need more of it, and I would do a better job than they do. That's what sin does in our lives, and it has a power over us. And the scriptures tell us that when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just show us a completely revolutionary way of handling power. It actually broke the power of sin in our lives. <laughs> it broke the power of sin. Sin doesn't have that power over us anymore. And so now we are free to think about power differently. The scriptures tell us that when Jesus died, his death actually put to death sin in us so that we are now free. We are now free to hear what he says about power and believe it. And now the scriptures say that what operates in us is not sin anymore, but a new power, the power of the Holy Spirit, or really the spirit or the presence of Jesus. Jesus himself now lives in us. And it is not just teaching that changes our mind. It is the power of the spirit within us that frees us to see leadership differently and to live and handle our power, whatever power, whatever influence, whatever relations we have differently in the way Jesus calls us to. 
to actually use it in the service of others, to choose to get low, to choose to get beneath the burdens with others around us, to choose to be weak so that others can be made strong by our power, by our leadership, by our influence. And so whatever relationships you're in, whatever power you have, whatever number of followers you have, whatever way you have a voice or an influence or other people, this is what it means to use it like Jesus. I mean, our response to this before we get kind of get practical and, and end our time together is just to say, man, my heart and my mind always drifts back to the old ways of thinking about power. And in fact, the further our world gets from Jesus and kind of rejecting the teachings in the life of Jesus, the more we drift back to the ways of power before he came and died on the cross. The more we, uh, you know, there's so much uh, attitude of criticism towards power. We see this between our leaders, political leaders criticizing each other. We do this. We criticize the people with power around us. Or when we, when we find we have power influence, our temptation to use it for ourselves and not for others is so strong. And so some of this is just to come back to the Lord and say, God, I need your power. I need your life. I need to confess that this is, I still think in the old ways of power and influence and leadership. And so the band's going to lead us in a song that calls, it's called Run to the Father. We've sung it a few times here over the last couple of months. And it's just saying, I need you. I need you to help me. I've tried it my own way. I don't know how to do this, God. Can you help me? And so just use this as a time to pray and invite him and his power to teach you how to live differently. I've carried a burden for too long on my own. I wasn't created to bury alone. I hear your invitation to let it all go. I see it now. I'm laying it down. I know that I need you. I've run to the Father, fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding, reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend. So I run to the Father again and again.
close our time together, I want to just take a moment just to pause, just to stop, uh, and allow us to reflect and invite Jesus into our imagination to see the world the way he does. So if you don't mind, uh, just close your eyes and just follow along with me in this uh, sort of guided prayer. First, I want you to just look up in your mind's eye, in your imagination. Look up and see someone or something that you feel has power or leadership over you. Could be a parent, could be a teacher, could be a, a government official, could be a boss, could be a manager, could be a pastor, some, something, someone that you feel has leadership over you that maybe you have felt crushed by or not served by or not listened to by. Just as you look up, I want you to see them, maybe for the first time or first time in a long time, with compassion because you understand that you are just as likely to misuse power as well. That we are all in the same boat. We don't know how to do this well. And so as you look up and see them, see them with grace, the same grace that Jesus has for you and I when we fall short of what, the way he calls us to live. Now, as you keep your eyes closed, I want you to look around. Look around. See someone in your life. Who is in your life that is being crushed by a burden? Maybe it's a son or a daughter. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a coworker. And as you see them, think about Imagine yourself walking over to them. You're not standing at a distance, just looking at them bearing this burden. Imagine yourself walking over and choosing to get underneath it with them. You see this, and instead of criticizing for, the, for them or wishing it would go away, just see yourself walking over to them and getting underneath that burden and feeling the weight. Feel the weight of it. Feel your compassion for them increasing. Wow, this is heavy. I never realized how heavy this was. This must be heavy for them to carry each week, each day, each year. Choose in your mind's eye to walk over to them and get underneath it with them and feel the weight. And lastly, I want to invite you to look in. Look in and imagine seeing your own, the inside, your, your, your heart, the inside of your life. I want you to see the power of the Holy Spirit increasing inside you. Um, for me, when I look at and think about that, it, it looks like a smoke or a, a, a vapor that's sort of increasing. So whatever that picture is, maybe your heart is getting bigger. Maybe you feel more strength in you, but just look inside and see the power to live like this is given to me by the Holy Spirit. Thank you for doing that for a few moments. And I just pray that that uh, kind of looking up, looking around and looking in will become a little bit of a habit for you, a habit in prayer even this week. As we close, my mind went to the story of Henry Nouwen. Henry Nouwen was a Dutch priest um, who wrote uh, over 30 books, sold millions of copies of those books, he taught uh, at some of the best schools in the world. He taught at Notre Dame. He taught at Yale. He taught at Harvard. Um, he was a very distinguished uh, teacher, lecturer. Um, people around the world came to hear him, and he traveled all over the world speaking. But at a certain point, he felt God calling him actually to leave Harvard and become the pastor of a place called Larch Daybreak here in Toronto, uh, which is a group home for developmentally challenged people who were trying to live life together and follow God together. And they invited Henry to be his pastor. And he said when he came, you know, he left Harvard, he left the Ivy League, he left a place in a world where people knew him, where he was regarded with honor, where he was invited, where his words were valued, where his books were bought, where um, his opinion mattered a lot. And he said, I suddenly went to work with people uh, who didn't care 
where I was. They, they never read my books and they were never going to. They had never been to Harvard. They didn't care that Harvard had uh, any kind of value in the rest of the world. It didn't have any meaning to them. All they cared about was would I help them tie their shoes? Would I help them with breakfast? Would I be someone who cared for them? He said it was such a strange place to come to this place where all of the power and leadership I had meant nothing. But he said it was the most important time in my life. And listen to what he said as to why. These broken, wounded, and completely unpretentious people forced me to let go of myself that can do things, show things, prove things, and build things, and forced me to reclaim that unadorned self in which I am completely vulnerable, open to receive and give love regardless of any accomplishments. The Christian leader of the future is called to stand in this world with nothing to offer but his or, or her own vulnerable self. That is the way Jesus came to reveal God's love. It's a beautiful picture of someone choosing to humble themselves. And in that moment to realize, this is not a strategy for dealing with power. This is actually the way that I remember her the most important thing about me, that I am loved by God and that I am invited to show his love to others. And so as we close, just let's sing this song together that is about being free to receive and to give the love of God. darkness I called your name into darkness your mercy came you called me out lifted me out how great is your love you bore my weakness you took my shame Bearing my burden in fields of grace You called me out, lifted me up How great is your love From the heights of heaven You stepped down to earth in perfection give you life for us and we are amazed yes we are in awe for we have been changed by the power of the cross how great how great how great is your love how great how great how great is your love 
Your love. How great is your love?